Saturday, April 26th, the CUNY School of Public Health hosted a community conversation about the East Harlem explosion and building collapse. Just Publix at 365 was there to collect stories of the people who were affected by the explosion. Community members shared their experience and the ways the community could prepare for future disasters. My name is Mary O'Shaughnessy. I am a response manager for the American Red Cross in Greater New York. On the day of the explosion at Park Avenue, I was actually at work at my day job as a technology manager for a legal services firm that helps low-income women. As part of response management at the Red Cross, I receive four-hour reports on general activities, regular fires, evacuations of unsafe apartments, and other small disasters. I received special messages from the Office of Emergency Management and from the Red Cross management regarding this explosion. As soon as I could leave work at 5.30 or so, I headed to the Red Cross where we have an emergency operations center. This is an office that's staffed only during major disasters. There are 24 seats and each seat is occupied by a person with a very specific responsibility for obtaining large quantities of food, for arranging for the setup of a shelter, for arranging for licensed mental health professionals and physical health professionals to arrive at a scene, and so on. My job was as operations management to make sure that all of those seats were filled or that each phone at each seat was being answered. So it boils down to there are 24 phones. If it rings, answer it, respond appropriately, make the right decision. A lot of people don't understand that the Red Cross is not a government agency. We are voluntary. We are 90% of us volunteers. The volunteers that were available were people who were retired, self-employed, or unemployed. That can really limit our ability to respond to people who are linguistically isolated. Our volunteers speak what they speak. They're available when they're available. We happen to be lucky that a couple of staff people were native Spanish speakers. It is possible at a regular fire that you will have people who are so linguistically isolated that no one can help them. We have facilities for that, but it takes some time to set up. So when I got to the emergency operations center, I found it in full swing. People were already at the blast site. They were already working on a reception center. Until we have the capability, that is, a released building from the Board of Education, an available custodian, and shelter staff, we have what's called reception centers. That's where clients, and I have to define the word client here, we never call people victims because part of the Red Cross role is to encourage people in recovery. And calling people victims does not encourage that. We have clients and we have survivors. Clients, survivors, and family members were already at the site looking for information. The definition of a disaster is that it is unplanned. Therefore, controlling information is always partial, immediate, and changeable. It's very difficult to set and manage expectations. We also are absolutely committed individually, corporately, and internationally to client confidentiality. It is very common for family members to call, and we were getting these calls from people saying, 
it, my sister-in-law was there, my nephew was there, my cousin was there. We cannot release that information. We did not have the information about the deceased to give out, but even if we had it, we cannot. We cannot give information about who is registered at a reception center or a shelter. What would happen if a man were to come and say, my wife is there, I need to get to my wife, and we released that information, and that woman had an order of protection against an abusive spouse? It's something that we always have to pretend we protect people against. We cannot make assumptions about what people are telling us. Most people are honest. Most people want to help. We have to be realistic as well as optimistic in our view of human nature. So we were getting calls from volunteers. We were getting calls from partner agencies. We were issuing requests for food. We try to purchase food from local vendors. We try to purchase all our supplies from local vendors. Surviving vendors may have decreased foot traffic. They may have decreased customer attend uh, customer assistance because their customers have been displaced. By the Red Cross spending money in these local vendors, we're keeping small businesses in business. We're keeping their employees still able to contribute to the community. And therefore, the function of the society is continuing to go. Very often we get complaints from people who say, I didn't want my money to go to overhead. Overhead is very interesting. If you think about wanting a report of where money goes, you would say, yes, I want a report. A report needs a database, a list of expenses, and a list of donations. That computer needs electricity. The person who is putting that information in needs an office with electricity, running water, and maybe heat or air conditioning. The software needs to be purchased. That's overhead. And so it's very interesting to try to explain what overhead means in terms of how people get their wishes regarding their donations. We have overhead, and we're not ashamed of that. We are very careful about donor dollars. In order for a Red Cross responder to be fully trained and go out by themselves, that is to respond to a fire or a vacate, they have extensive training and extensive practice, and they undergo a background check. When I walk out to a fire, I can have as many as 30 debit cards with a maximum value in the field of $1,000. If I'm handing someone, as a manager, $30,000 nominally in debit cards, I want to know who they are. That is why what we call spontaneous volunteers get asked to do some really basic things, hand out water, hand out food. Trained responders go into people's homes. We go into homes to evaluate damage, to determine how much cash assistance to give, whether to give hotel rooms. I would not want someone in my home that had not undergone a background check. So that these are the things that go into being a Red Cross volunteer responder. And it all gets really ramped up in the event of a large disaster. As you gain experience, it's also important to know how to step back. I've been a volunteer for seven years. I'm very experienced, and now I'm in management. I have to step back and allow other people to learn to do this. That can be hard because they're training, and by definition, trainees make mistakes. Sometimes in an event like this, 
a simple mistake can get very high profile very quickly. And it's very difficult to manage. We never send out trainees alone, but in a fast-moving, crowded situation, they make decisions. Sometimes they're very good decisions, and sometimes they could have been better. And we work on that in what we call hot washes. So after an event, and in some cases after every 24 or 48-hour period, we sit down together and figure out what went wrong, what went right, how to keep doing what's right, and how to correct what was wrong. It's a continuous process. I love volunteering for the Red Cross. I like going out. I like adulation. I like people saying, oh, you do wonderful things. And that's, it's an ego charge, and I'll take that. Fires, disasters, or an adrenaline charge. But you also have to balance that against the needs of the organization and the needs of the community. Those needs will go on long after I am unable to respond to disasters. These stories were collected at a community conversation about the East Harlem explosion and building collapse. The event was sponsored by Just Publics at 365, East Harlem Emergency Preparedness Collective, the School of Public Affairs at Baruch College, Community Board 11 of Manhattan, New York City OEM Community Emergency Response Team, the Silverman School of Social Work, and the CUNY School of Public Health.